This is the CBF Podcast Conversation. Each week, we bring you stories of our fellowship through interviews of people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. I'm Handy Hale, and I host your weekly podcast. And this week, we have a special Facebook and YouTube live interview about advocacy and the local church. Um, But it would be absolutely hypocritical for us to have a conversation about advocacy when just this week, a tremendous injustice was felt in the community of Louisville. So may we pause for a moment, uh, lending our silence and our prayers to this community and to the family of Breonna Taylor. God, we know that you call us to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. And so we repent of our unwillingness to fulfill your calling, both consciously and unconsciously. May we seek to love our neighbors in a more faithful sense to the way of Jesus. In a few moments, uh, I'll introduce the guest and we'll jump into our conversation. We wanna let you know that you have the opportunity to present questions to our guest. Uh, If you're on Facebook, you can comment on the right. If you're on YouTube, you can comment down below. Um, I can't promise we'll get to all the questions, especially since I know our guests are going to dispense an unbearable amount of wisdom and nuance. Um, This CBF podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the center, we help lay leaders, clergy, and congregations find ways to thrive in the midst of change. Our experience in highly trained consultants and coaches don't prescribe one-size-fits-all solutions. Instead, we work alongside you and take your unique congregation and ministry context series. We believe the wisdom for thriving comes from the leadership of the Spirit. We help create the space for congregations to hear and to recognize that God-given wisdom. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need to thrive in ministry. Well, I'd like to introduce first Heather Mustaine. She's the Associate Pastor at Wilshire Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. Preston Clegg is the Senior Pastor at Second Baptist Church in Little Rock, Little Rock, Arkansas, and Stephen Reeves is CBF Associate Coordinator of Partnership and Advocacy. Welcome to the conversation. Thanks Thanks for having us, Andy. Now, as we jump into this conversation, I want to make you aware that we have a new resource out by Stephen Reeves and Katie Ferguson-Murray. It's called The Mission of Advocacy, a Toolkit for Congregation. Uh, This just released earlier this month uh, from the Nurturing Faith Publishing. Uh, Stephen, we're going to dig into this resource a bit later on, uh, but give us a brief vision behind the book. Sure, Andy. Basically, we know that our churches in CBF Life have uh, long been very uh, generous and charitable, uh, involved in global missions work, uh, but sometimes that uh, that work doesn't really translate to advocacy, to public witness. What does the church do with the systemic problems? And so uh, in partnership with Wilshire, we helped uh, develop this book or toolkit to help our congregations feel, figure out how they might engage in advocacy and public witness that really complements and moves alongside their mission work. Now, I just want to give everybody a little incentive uh, to purchase this book. Stephen is personally signing each copy, uh, not with his <laughs> signature, but actually it's with the uh, tears of another failing Texas Longhorn season. So Ooh, go, well, go out and Andy. purchase the church. Oh, sorry. Was I not supposed to say that? Hey, it's uh, your LSU folks backed out this year. So uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As we zero in on our conversation today about advocacy by uh, the local church, we want to learn a little bit more about the actual work being done by CBF churches. So Heather, we'll begin with you. 
what is advocacy to Wilshire Baptist Church? How does that take shape within and through your congregation? Yeah, great question, Andy. Um, so the work of advocacy, I, I would say, has been a long-standing kind of interwoven part of our life as a congregation. We've always had um, a commitment to our community in um, both relationship and charity, but also in, in understanding uh, systems at play. So for us, um, we kind of formalized this work in 2014 um, in partnership with CBF, trying to explore what does it look like for a local congregation to have a dedicated staff member um, resources driving the work of advocacy alongside their uh, traditional missions ministry. So for us, it was really about um, trying to begin to formalize and educate our congregation about the combination and the need for us to be both charitable in our work, but also justice seeking. And so, you know, um, we chose kind of issues of concern that we've long cared about, things like public education, hunger, um, that really guided the work and moved us and mobilized us into the community and began looking at those types of um, priorities in a way that made us examine um, not only how we, we give someone something to eat, but the idea about why is it that we're still needing to feed people when there's plenty. So um, beginning to really help our congregation ask those deeper questions of, of not just um, continuing to act in charitable ways, which I think we love and care and still do, um, but also um, interrogating and analyzing systems and structures that contribute to uh, deep need within our uh, community. So it's it's a work in progress, and um, a lot of it looks like for us uh, aware, creating awareness um, and education and um, really being in touch, particularly with uh, partners and um, the needs uh, of, of our community at that time. Preston, what about second Little Rock? What, what's advocacy to the congregation? How does that take shape within and through your congregation? Yeah, so... Um, we have been doing advocacy for a long time as well. Uh, we have not always named it as such. And so we are uh, trying to mature and Heather used the language of formalizing. I think that's where we are as a congregation. So uh, we're a downtown church in a capital city and therefore not to have a social conscience about ourselves is uh, sort of to miss our own context. And so even our address lends itself to advocacy. And throughout Second's history, we have uh, attracted people who have uh, vocations in the political arena. And that has cultivated a, a more public and social and systemic consciousness about our church. Uh, in 1957, Second was very active in the desegregation of Little Rock Central. And so that was sort of exhibit A for what advocacy looks like. We, we advocated for the integration of schools and um, de declared our own integration as a church as well. And so 
we have done advocacy, but I don't think anybody ever used that language to talk about what we were doing. Uh, and so the terminology is a bit new for our people, and we're trying to uh, engage them with that uh, terminology. Uh, since I've been at second in the last few years, we've uh, talked about the Little Rock School District, which has been under state control. Uh, we've publicly advocated for that, and, and I have as well personally. Uh, we've talked about hunger. We've talked about immigration in the public arena. Uh, and some employment discrimination uh, RIFRA legislation came before the Arkansas uh, legislature just a few years ago, and we advocated uh, for a more inclusive working environment uh, in Arkansas. So uh, the work itself is a pretty organic part of who we are as a church and ingrained in our DNA, uh, though we haven't always articulated it as such. Stephen, I wonder if you would give us a, a brief glimpse into some of the other types of advocacy work being done by other CBF churches across the country. Sure, Andy. I think um, there's some good examples with these two, but some of the more powerful, most powerful advocacy I've seen has been around refugees and immigrants, for sure. Uh, we've There's a really um, powerful uh, combining of missions and advocacy in a lot of those instances where um, Churches will uh, welcome refugees into some of their uh, the homes that they own. Uh, some have, uh, you know, renovated par uh, parsonages and housed refugees, and then gone uh, to Washington and, and advocated for refugees. And so that's another uh, area where I've seen some success. Uh, predatory lending. We haven't mentioned payday and auto title lending. It's been something that CBF has focused on, and Wilshire's done an incredible work there. Uh, again, some of our churches have done an incredible job of advocating on either the, the federal, the state, or the local level for more just lending practices, and in some cases have uh, married that very directly to their mission work in that they've created uh, alternative uh, rescue loan programs to help out folks both you know, systemically and individuals. And so um, it, it's been a, a great uh, thing to watch. Uh, and I think you know, for, for us, in CBF, we want to encourage and equip and educate folks to be successful advocates, no matter where they're feeling called to be an advocate. Whatever it is in their local community, whether it's homelessness or mental health or public education, this this toolkit, this book, and, and what we're trying to do is encourage folks to do that. And so, um, you know, there's some, there's some great examples out there, um, and, and I'm proud of the way uh, CBF folks have really stepped up and, and, and engaged even more in advocacy in the last several years. We're going to break this down into size a little bit more. Uh, we do need to pause uh, to tell you about one more of the CBF podcast uh, annual sponsors, which is Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners with online classes and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goal, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. So no matter the congregation, there's going to be challenges. Um, and, and for the ministers on here, don't say amen too boisterously because you might have church members that are actually watching. Um, okay. One of the challenges around advocacy to the local church is, is the theological divide among ministers. You know, the reality is uh, for most churches, they're, they're theologically diverse, which is a beautiful thing. But... It can be a challenging thing when one set of members sees these issues and this work as kingdom centric, 
while another might see these issues and this work as political. Uh, Preston, uh, Arkansas is not exactly the uh, the bastion of progressive political action. So, you know, how how have you navigated the theological challenges and divides that happen within a congregation over advocacy? Yeah, that's certainly a stumbling block for people. Um, I think I've done it in several ways um, and continue to do it. One is, uh, you mentioned the phrase, the kingdom of God. Uh, that's not that's not a liberal agenda. Uh, someone I trust talked about the kingdom of God a whole lot. And so to talk about the kingdom is, is gospel centric. And so some of the education we have to do with people is theological reformation, that the gospel and the kingdom are all tied up in one whole. And to expose sort of this hyper-individualism in our culture that only sees the gospel and really any theological category, sin, salvation, only in individualistic terms. So uh, just broadening horizons theologically. I think recovering the prophetic tradition in the Bible, uh, there, there are huge swaths of scripture that many branches of the church's tree are unfamiliar with. I think the prophetic tradition is one of those. And so to recover the prophetic voice in the Bible and in Christian tradition is, is helpful for people. Uh, and I think just helping people understand if anything political is off the table for pastors to talk about, what can we talk about? Uh, everything that we do to one degree or another is political speech. And so I think the minister has to make peace with that. The people in the pews have to make peace with that. And to keep those two as separate arenas, uh, I think diminishes both and makes both lesser. Uh, I don't mean to trample on separation of church and state in any regard, but our faith and public life need to be married and need uh, one needs to influence the other. Uh, so just a different level of consciousness. Uh, the last thing I would say, Paul talks about powers and principalities. Uh, and so I think to help people have a biblical framework, a theological framework for how systems work, how injustice works, uh, how salvation works, even in our systems, I think is very helpful and redemptive for people in the pews. But that takes time. It takes a preaching ministry and a teaching ministry uh, and a lot of reflection from a church. Heather, what does this look like at Wilshire? Yeah, I would agree so much with what uh, Preston is saying in the sense that um, it's it's work that for, I will say, like a predominantly white affluent congregation that takes time to cultivate. Um, you know, early on in our process, we had very lively debates about if we call this work advocacy or if we call it justice work. And um, interestingly enough, we landed on advocacy because we saw that word in scripture. Um, we saw that the Holy Spirit and Christ are both called the advocate. And so, um, you know, that each, each congregation is going to have their own kind of set of challenges. But I would say, um, much like what Preston is saying, is that it it, it takes um, intentional cultivation for um, this to, uh, even though it was even 
for Wilshire, even though it was kind of part of already part of her identity, calling that out and beginning to put words in language and um, process around it was, was hard for some. So one of the things that um, I'm not a preacher, I don't preach at Wilshire. Um, I kind of see myself more as the practitioner. And so George and I uh, work hand in hand in that way, in the sense of, of trying to allow people the experience of, of, of advocacy. So, you know, for us, it was really important to begin to create advocacy as experiential um, because so many of the, the priority issues didn't affect the day-to-day -day lives of, of those within the pews of, of Wilshire. And so beginning to kind of take them out of their comfort zone, um, allow them to see how these issues are affecting um, the day-to-day -day life of real people and creating that empathetic response was really important for us because once people saw it and understood and heard the story, it was, it was no longer about politics. It was about an ethic of love, that God is love. And therefore that is going to mobilize us to action. So, you know, I would say one of the biggest, um, you know, the biggest successes for us in beginning a ministry like this was the opportunity to make it experiential and hands-on. Hmm. Stephen, what are some of the common theological challenges within a congregation over advocacy? I do think that there is a, uh, you have to get over the notion that this is not what our church does, right? That this is just separate. And I think, you know, again, to echo a little bit what Heather was saying, for some of us, in uh, majority white churches and culture, uh, systems have worked pretty well for us. And so we've been able to kind of individualize faith and say this is entirely personal and doesn't have a lot to say about justice or the vulnerable or social issues. I think um, we have to uh, encourage folks to think more deeply and beyond that. And so um, that is a bit of a challenge. Um, you know, I'm not a theologian or, or a preacher. I'm an attorney and lobbyist. And so um, this book is really aimed at those who feel already convicted and called that, that they, they feel like they need to be doing something and they don't know where to start. And so we kind of start from that place. But I, I will say that um, there are challenges and this is risky. There's no doubt about it. Um, but to echo what Preston said, you know, I think uh, it's needed for both the church, uh, for our folks to see beyond themselves and for uh, our country at large uh, and politics to, to have a better uh, model and a better framework of what it looks like for Christian engagement. And I also say, I think it's risky not to. Mm -hmm. That people, uh, and especially younger folks, expect that their faith would have something to say mm -hmm. about incredibly critical issues going on around our world. And to not address those and pretend, just ignore them and pretend that uh, we're not in the type of... Uh, fix we're in right now, that, they, that, things, that, that that's just outside and that's other, uh, that doesn't say much about the strength of our faith uh, and what it has to say to the rest of the world. So um, there are challenges, there are there's some theological root to it, but I think Heather's exactly right in, in that, you know, we don't start with politics, we don't start with partisan, we don't start with individuals uh, that are politicians, we start with what the church is doing when it's oriented outward into the community. And hopefully when you, when you bring it from a, um, out of the political realm, 
in, in, to a certain respect and into the missions realm, into the heart of what the church is called to do, that leads to a different type of conversation and a different type of action on the part of the church. Hmm. Yeah, I think we often uh, forget that Jesus was crucified as a political and religious insurrectionist. Um, our problem is uh, we're unwilling to maybe be crucified for, for the same hmm. things. Um, so uh, what I want us to think about next is what are some of the common uh, challenges organizationally and also continuing that conversation theologically facing most local churches in the area of, of starting to work in advocacy. Um, so Heather, we'll start with you on this one. Sure. I, you know, what immediately kind of popped in my mind was um, a lack of commitment so I think that we have kind of oriented ourselves as a, not just as a church culture, but just culturally to like instant gratification. And any organizer will tell you that you're going to lose way more than you're going to win. And so the work of advocacy um, to me is it's about the long haul and it's about more than likely we're going to lose a lot before we actually win. Um, but our commitment to this has to has to uh, move forward despite the results of it. So, um, so I would say one of the most common challenges um, would be uh, a lack of commitment to the cause long term. And you know, you see that even in as a you know, over with missions. You see people that want to kind of sign up for the Saturday service project, but the, you know, trying to get folks to uh, commit to mentoring a child once a week for a year, it's a lot harder uh, to uh, recruit and mobilize people in that way. So, so that's one of the challenges that I see is that this is work that is day in and day out. It's grinding. It's hard. It's um, can be traumatic. It can be filled with a lot of pain and grief and loss. Um, but eventually, if you can stick with it, there are wins along the way. Um, but you'll lose a lot of people because they're not ready or willing to make that type of commitment. And um, and that's how you know. I always, as I talk with churches, like it's just not for everyone. The work of advocacy in this ministry is not for, for everyone. And so it's the work of the few often I say, um, and the committed. Steven, same question to you. Yeah, I would echo what Heather said. This is challenging. Um, and that this is the long term. um, in the, in the book, I make a distinction between expressive advocacy and engaged advocacy and expressive advocacy is sort of the, the, the momentary, speaking truth to power, the, the protest, the march, those things are necessary and can be fruitful at times. Um, but we were talking a lot more about engaged advocacy, the long-term in, kind of inside, kind of inside versus outside is the way to look at this. The in, inside work that is long and, and sometimes hard. Uh, from a church perspective, you know, I don't know of anybody who thinks that one day they'll just dissolve their missions committee. Right. They feel like a long term commitment to missions. That's part of what our churches do. I hope that one day we'll have the same sort of long term thinking about advocacy, that, that it will be ingrained into the culture of our churches and that it's not seen as a as a one time momentary thing. But it is a, a, a way of of living in the world. And I'll say um, 
to, you know, uh, you, you brought up the example of Christ, Andy, which is pretty relevant uh, for us Christians. And um, I don't remember him calling us to come be winners. He told us to come take up his, his our cross and follow him. And so sometimes uh, that's painful, but I think we're called to be faithful. And there's a faithfulness in advocacy, I think, especially when it's not out of our own self-interest. We're not doing it to better ourselves or maybe even those in our church, but to, for the vulnerable in our communities and those who are facing injustice. And so um, you don't want to oversell uh, that, that this is easy and, and quick, uh, but it's, I, I think I've seen folks get it and stay engaged and committed to it. Hmm. Preston, organizational theological challenges for local churches starting an advocacy? Yeah, uh, a few that I can speak of tangibly in my own ministry. I think there's some reticence uh, about where to start, that when you engage this work, you, you have to pick where you are going to pour your life and energy because there are too many worthwhile causes for us to say yes to everything. Mm. So matching a church's gifts and passions and history with the current need of the moment, uh, that's a really tricky sweet spot. And, and then you have to say no to some really good work that's just not in your wheelhouse at that moment. And that's, that's difficult. I, I think a lot of pastors have a reticence to engage this work because we're ill-equipped to do it, quite frankly. Quite frankly, um, I was trained to exegete ancient texts, but if I'm going to talk about public housing or education or fill in the blank of any current issue, that demands multidisciplinary preparation that many pastors and many people in the pews are, are ill-equipped to do. And so you have to do your own education about some of these things, or else you hurt the cause rather than help the cause. Hmm. Uh, and so the multidisciplinary part of it is a challenge. I, I think it makes people angry. Uh, advocacy disturbs folks. I'm a nine on the Enneagram. I'm a peacemaker. I want everyone to be happy. And yet when you begin to speak truth to systemic injustice, it will make people angry. And that's hard for peacemaking sorts of people. Um, who, who was the bishop in South America who said, uh, when I feed the poor, everyone calls me a saint. When I ask why the poor have no food, everyone calls me a communist. Hmm. And I think there's a lot of truth in that confession. Uh, and finally, just to echo what's already been said, I just think the high cost of doing it. Um, most churches have no problem feeding the poor. We just put more food on the table. But when we ask the question, why are the hungry hungry? That might mean we have to remake the table or re-examine the kitchen. And that comes at a higher cost to all of us. And oftentimes we're unwilling to pay that, that cost. Uh, so all of, that are, all of those are challenges that I have faced uh, in trying to cultivate a, a consciousness of advocacy in the church. Well, Preston, the good news for you, Little Rock doesn't have a history of angry white people over systemic issues of any kind. So we're, we're crystal clear. Yeah. yeah. You know, everyone uh, listening to this can pick up the phone. They can call their state representative. They can send a sternly written letter or email. However, for some, they might be thinking, how can I make a difference as an individual? Then when you expand this to a small group or, or maybe an entire congregation, one might think, 
What real difference can one church make in policies and procedure at the local and state level? Uh, Stephen, what do you say to this? Yeah, it's, we have a, a lot of challenges in, in the political realm. There's no doubt about it. But you hit on, on one aspect already, and that is um, a lot of times when people think about politics, they think only about Washington. Um, and it's important to engage there, of course, but go local, go to your city council, go to your county, go to your state. And I think you're going to have a lot more success. Um, I, um, I do believe that uh, people of faith organized still have an opportunity to make a difference. It's hard. There are definitely headwinds, but you would be surprised how uh, a pastor showing up with 10 congregants still gets listened to. Um, we have to do to be... Um, also wise about our potential power. Um, you're right, just writing off a letter, sending a tweet, that sort of thing is probably not gonna have a lot of effect. But if you're organized, if you think about who in your congregation might know some folks, who might have some influence, how do we best um, uh, engage? Uh, I think there is still opportunity for success. Um, it's, not, it's, it's not easy, but I think we need to be a bit more strategic in our thinking and realize that you know, uh, the, uh, a moral argument um, can still influence folks. You know, most of our elected folks are Christians. You, we can speak that language. And when you come from a place of experience, let us tell, about, tell you about the person we met in our community and what has happened to them, the injustice there, and put it in the context of narrative and actual example um, that's really helpful and still very powerful. Preston, how has Second Little Rock made a difference in the community? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And I would also say I don't think any church, regardless of location or size, should underestimate the power of their voice. Uh, I think any one of us, our voice carries power with the people that we elect and the people who serve us. Sometimes I think we have an inverted notion of the way politics works in this country. Uh, in a democracy, we get the representation that, that we deserve and we elect and that we tolerate. And so I think when Christian leaders speak up, uh, people pay attention. I also think there is uh, acute power when a church stands up and speaks as one. I think that carries uh, almost inordinate weight with with politicians and especially local uh, officials. I, I would also say this, one of the things that makes a church different than maybe another lobbyist organization is our hands and feet and blood and sweat and tears are in this community. And so just for one example, when I have spoken up about the Little Rock School District, I also do so representing a church that has an ongoing literacy program in a nearby elementary school. And so in that degree, I, I, I am leveraging the voice of the whole church. And it's not just my singular voice that's speaking in that moment, but it's all the blood and the sweat and the tears that we have exemplified as we have worked with these children and teachers in schools. So it, it's not so much finger pointing as it is open handedness, incarnational truth that we, we are seeking to embody. So I think churches should speak up and as they do so, leverage the, their blood, sweat and tears in that community in a way that local leaders pay attention to. Heather, how has One Church, Wilshire Baptist Church, made a difference in the community? Whew. Um, 
You know, I, I think one of the, the biggest gifts that um, has come out of our advocacy work is um, relationships and deepened relationship in the community. Uh, we often hear uh, this piece of feedback from, from folks about, I didn't know that white Christians could believe something like that, that racism is a sin. Or so when we speak on and we speak that truth, it it provides, it builds, we become architects of hope. And can you can you actually quantify the impact of that? I don't know, but it makes a difference because um, I mean, what is our faith if we're not building hope or living um, into that or uh, reimagining? a world that is different. And so, you know, I, yeah, like quantifiably, I don't have, you know, anything to offer except to say that this work matters because there have been um, swaths of people who no longer believe that white preachers would actually go as far as to say that black lives matter, that racism is a sin, that the poor shouldn't be preyed upon with you know huge amounts of of loan interest that you know that that these things should not be happening in our community and what that does is it produces hope that that there is a different way of being in the world and that's unquantifiable but it makes a difference hmm. well heather i can say uh you know there's a reason why when most people refer to your church within cbf life it's just one word which is wilshire which is uh, kind of this living legacy of advocacy within their community. Um, so yeah, that's not quantifiable, but there's definitely an, a name behind it uh, for sure. Um, you know, one of the challenges uh, around this is, um, you know, churches seeking partnerships uh, within the community and, and the state. Um, when you step outside the confines of the church organization, sometimes there's miscommunication or disagreement about the nature or validity of a partner. So how should churches vet and dance with outside organizational partners um, in the work of advocacy? Uh, Stephen, we'll start with you. I would um, answer a slightly different question and say, I think first the church needs to be properly prepared for those partnerships. Um, you know, hmm. a lot of good effective work in this realm is done in coalition. And that is, you know, groups of groups folks who can be entirely different from one another in every other way, except they both care about this one thing. I think when the church engages in advocacy, it should absolutely look to partner with other organizations, including non-Christian organizations, secular organizations or interfaith organizations, and just realize that, you know, we're going to get together and work with these folks because they care and they, and together we're stronger than we are individually. And so hopefully you don't get in kind of the guilt by association of where I can't believe you would work with them. They believe X, Y, and Z. Uh, you need to be able to say, look, we're pulling in the same direction on this. And because we are so different, the witness, the, the testimony of us working together makes a bigger impact. And so I think that's important to lay that groundwork. And I would say, you know, there are numerous organizations in any city that, uh, that are experts and that care about certain things. Um, churches don't all, aren't equipped to be um, experts on mental health or homelessness or 
or criminal justice or what have you, but there are people in your town or city that are. And so look to them, invite them to, to, to talk, to speak. Um, look out, if you're looking outside the church walls for, uh, for the kind of uh, issues and concerns that you might have an impact on, also look outside for those who have been working on it for decades and where they, they might be very helpful to the congregation. Heather, what about y'all partnerships and how you navigate outside partnerships? Yeah, I would say I would agree um, with Stephen very much and that this work can never be done alone. Um, and so uh, and, and almost in the same sense that, you know, when Katie and I both started kind of treading more in this, uh, we would often show up to coalitions that were meeting um, and we'd be the only pastors or church represented. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that's a common, that that would be a common find is, you know, it's not so much about uh, perhaps why the coalition, but they're looking at you and saying, why you, <laughs> why are you here? You know, it's odd for you to be here. Um, and so, but, but also, I mean, just very practically um, sign up for their newsletter uh, look at the website if they have one, um, attend something in the community that they're holding, and you'll get a real sense real quick if it's something that you feel like will be able to um, kind of mesh with, with your own kind of DNA. So language used, tactic used, all of that, you'll, you'll have an intuitive sense of comfortability or not. And so um, some of it is just you got to get out there and you got to try. And if it's not the right thing, you'll know, and you can look for something else. Um, but there, you know, there's great uh, power and diversity, and it's okay. Like Stephen said, it's okay that you're you're never going to agree on everything, but what's the commonality that can mobilize us together to make an impact? And that's what matters. Preston, yeah. Um... I think this work demands cooperation and partnerships if you're going to do it for long. Um, for me, I, I start within the church because there are people within my pews who are better experts than I am in any oh. given field, uh, including theology, um, <laughs> but also people who are well connected and know, know who our partners should be. Mm. Uh, so I always start within the network within the church, uh, even there you have profound partnerships that are sitting in your pews every Sunday. Um, I don't just think individual Christians have spiritual gifts. I think churches have spiritual gifts. And this work is a way for the body of Christ to be more whole, uh, for, for hands to hold and feet to move in tandem, and for churches that might be differently gifted and differently able to come together and work on uh, a cause. I I, th I see the body of Christ working more as a whole uh, in a capital C church kind of way on some of these issues. I, I also think it's a great opportunity for there to be interfaith work mm. uh, for different religions, not to be a point of division in a community, but to be a, a point of solidarity uh, and justice oriented work. And the last thing that I have discovered uh, in just a little bit that I've done this work is the word evangelism in our branch of the Baptist family is sort of a bad word. I mean, we all kind of roll, roll our eyes and don't really know what to do with that word or that work today. 
But in my experience, there is no better expression of what evangelism looks like in a public and mass scale than advocacy and justice work. Because people, uh, Heather's already hinted at it, people see that. It is public witness, and they want to know what's prompting that public witness. And so, in my mind, this is one of the ways we can do evangelism hmm. in the 21st century. Uh, and especially with younger people, this is the sort of expression of faith that really speaks to them. Uh, but you only only do that if you leave the four walls of your church and seek intentional partnerships in your city or town. Yeah, I definitely think you can make the biblical argument that most of the time Jesus was evangelizing was through uh, miracles or standing up against the religious self-righteous people within the gospel. So maybe evangelism isn't what we've made it out to be um, in the last couple of centuries. You know, we've we've heard examples uh, from two strong CBF churches, Second Little Rock and Wilshire Baptist, and along with stories from Stephen uh, about other CBF congregations advancing the cause of gospel centric advocacy. And this is the kind of thing that just doesn't happen overnight. Um, yes, you might have a small group within the congregation that's passionate about these issues or seeking justice uh, for a certain marginalized group, but rarely do you have an entire congregation on board from the onset of such work. So um, I want us to, to talk about building a culture of advocacy um, from your own experience. Um, and Heather, I wonder if you'll start um, down this road for us. Sure, yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's building is the word there. Um, you know, like you said, and, and like I've kind of hinted at earlier, when we started really kind of pressing our congregation in this way, um, for us to kind of re-examine the, the ways in which we move in our community and to prioritize this, this, you know, this didn't, this was not a staff led decision. This was something that came out of our strategic plan, planning process that our congregation shared with us that we want justice work to be more prominent in what we do. So it wasn't necessarily something that we set out to do, um, but that that activated us because we were excited that the church wanted more of that. So then we're like, OK, let's do this. And um, then people get scared you know, because what does that really mean for us? And um, this was in, you know, we went through, it won't be a surprise to anybody that we, we went through our own kind of uh, church process of becoming open and inclusive, welcoming to all people uh, in, in 2016, right in the middle of the election. And so um, that was a real turning point for us in the sense that we made we made that decision to become fully inclusive. And it almost was a, a, a turning like the ship kind of turned at that moment. And so some of the resistance we had towards engaging more publicly about these types of issues and priorities that really um, it, in all honesty, it, it kind of uh, dissipated after that. So. Um, some of it was just that kind of point in our church life and our history kind of solidified a little bit about who we wanted to be living into the future. And so so our culture shifted somewhat and, and we began to bring in new people that that's what they were looking for. They wanted a church that was publicly active in the community and that took on, took stands um, for 
forth, uh, you know, the whole of a person. So, um, so I would say, you know, again, getting more to the practical, uh, a lot of it is time. And a lot of it is education, um, building, building the education around housing discrimination in Dallas, like, wait, what that exists? What's that mean? Um, you know, people sending me their, their property liens with, you know, back in whenever, whenever it was established saying that this, this home would never be sold to a black person, right? So people are, um, people are, begin are hearing it from the pulpit. We're giving them a practical experience to engage in the work. And then they're, we're asking them to kind of interrogate their own kind of place in the world. How does this, you know, how does this contribute to your, your own kind of uh, place? So, so it kind of happens in layers, um, a lot of education, a lot of awareness, a lot of um, building relationships and um, seeking different experiences um, for people to understand um, the impact that they can have and that they already do have, whether that be negative or positive. Preston, what did it look like for Second Little Rock to build a, a culture of advocacy? Yeah, so I have a few ideas about that. First of all, I think for me to cultivate a consciousness of advocacy wasn't to do anything new, but to name what we had long been doing. And so I might encourage other pastors or church leaders to probe their church's history and locate the places where they have already done good advocacy and celebrate those, champion those. Um, I, I think you don't have to create things from scratch. Uh, pat the church on its back, say, well done, look at what we did. And then that sort of creates a, a context to continue doing that. One of the things that I've also tried to do is advocate wherever our ministries and missions were already taking us. So, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not creating something entirely new. I'm just trying to say, if we are working on third grade literacy levels, what are the factors that might cause a child to be behind grade level reading in the third grade? Or if we are a downtown church working with the homeless community, what, what are the factors that makes a person homeless? And so instead of just remedial ministry on the back end of an injustice, to have more proactive ministry on the front end, both of which are seeking to answer the same question. Uh, I think for me as a pastor, I've tried to resist the pastor prophetic divide and to see those as part and parcel of the very same work. Um, so long as I'm going to visit my people in the hospital when they're sick, I will also try to ensure they have adequate health care. Uh, so long as my children are in public schools, I will try to advocate for quality public schools. And so you're not pulling things out of the political atmosphere, your cause of the moment. You're just asking people to look around the sanctuary and see what very real factors impact the lives of their brothers and sisters uh, with whom they share the bread and the cup. Uh, and so I think you don't have to be uber creative and come up with new things necessarily. I think you can just name at deeper levels the sort of work you're already doing. Uh, and 
since I am the preacher on the call today, one of the things that I have tried to do is really elevate the newspaper in my preaching, hmm. uh, not above the scripture, but with the scripture and say, can you see how this text impacts this issue that was on our front page, not, not page seven, but on the front page of our city's life today? And so just, again, cultivating a public consciousness that has not come naturally to many of our churches. Uh, those are the sorts of things that I've tried to do to, to pave the way for this work. Stephen, what are other healthy practices you've seen congregations do as they're trying to build this, this culture of advocacy? Sure. Well, I think the first thing would be not to expect the entire church to act in one accord at the outset. That's, that's mm. not going to happen. That's, a, that's the exception. That's rare. Rather, I think the first thing to do to change the culture is to say, we're going to do this here. We care about this. We're going to allow space for folks to uh, engage what their faith means in, in, in the realm of politics and public life and social justice. And it's sort of giving permission. And in some cases, it's what folks are wanting to do anyways. Uh, and so it's to say, we care about these things and we, we want to have a place in our congregation whether it's the missions committee or a Sunday school class or a Wednesday night group, uh, where we where we think deeply about how our faith impacts this, I think, uh, and I think pastoral leadership is really important there, to to affirm that this is uh, something you know Christians are called to engage in and, and called to do, and we're going to explore that here at this church to kind of give that permission and, and to start to change that culture long before it's expected that the church would be on one page on any kind of given issue. Um, and I agree with Preston and our whole philosophy is starting with missions. Uh, do a deep dive into the, your missions partners and what you're doing, and then just put an advocacy lens on it. Um, there's been some great things lifted up, but if you're doing a habitat house, which a lot of our churches do, uh, let's think about affordable housing in our community. If you've got a community garden or a food kitchen, let's think about hunger and, and talk to Bread for the World and think about what it might mean for SNAP benefits. Um, these are not huge leaps, um, and but they just need to be um, different lenses need to put on these issues and kind of permission to go there, I think, is really important. And then I would say um, one of the first things the church can do to to uh, aid in this culture shift is just to start establishing relationships, different sets of relationships. One of them, we've talked about outside experts and, and maybe coalition partners, but um, make sure that you all are engaged with the mayor or the city council or the state rep, just not asking them for anything, not coming with an issue and not feeling like you have to be an expert on anything, but coming with your experience, coming with, here's our church, here's what we're doing, here's what we care about, we wanted to, to meet you and establish relationship and uh, let us know that, let you know that we're thankful for what you're doing, your sacrifice to be a public servant, and we're praying for you. I mean, that sort of thing is so critical um, to um, both help to form the culture of the church, and also eventually it's going to be real helpful when you have something that you really want to talk about uh, and when you really need to engage. Not to introduce yourself the second time. You can say, hey, remember we told you, talked to you about the work we were doing in our public school? Hey, what's going on with funding? Why is our funding continuing to drop in the state? It's it's a different conversation. We've been uh, we've talked about this a little bit. We've talked about the theological divide within our congregations, but ultimately, as you're building a culture of advocacy, because so many of our churches have been so um, you know quote mission minded, and what many of our churches mean by mission minded is 
sending money to other people to go mission, do mission work around the world or us doing toxic charity within our community of, you know, giving presents at Christmas or, uh, you know, things of that nature. So when you start to talk about local issues, um, I feel naturally many of our congregation, many of our congregational leaders and pastors are going to start to face the polarities of those that are passionate advocates and those who don't get it or are, uh, not really opponents of it, but just don't understand it or maybe are not speaking the same language. So how do you manage those polarities as a congregational leader? And Preston, I, I guess I wanna kind of first go to you, um, you know, as a senior pastor managing those, those polarities, how has that worked out for you? Uh, it's not easy, but I'm still employed as of today, so it can't be <laughs> I, I do think that there is a degree to which church should be sanctuary, right? And it's not lost on me that people don't come to worship for this week in Washington, you know, one more week. Uh, we have a deeper and higher calling. And I think to keep articulating that is helpful. And occasionally church should be something of a retreat from the world, occasionally. But the church should also be sent back out into the world. And to only retreat, to only see church as sanctuary is uh, to see just a very small portion of who we're called to be as people. So I feel this tension of protecting the sanctuary. I want people to be fed. I want people uh, to be able to breathe. I want people to be shaped in the highest and deepest and most profound and transformative ways but I also want to send them out with something to do. The only other bit of uh, semi-wisdom I might have about this is I just try to name things for our people. And I have said to the folks at Second, if, if the pulpit feels charged to you, uh, I want you to know that sometimes the pews feel charged to me. And that if, if, caring for the immigrant is suddenly this big political issue and not at the heart of our faith. If, uh, you know, caring for the least of these, a Matthew 25 lens on what we're doing, if that's a political agenda and a political agenda only, then I think we've been malformed and it's not been by the gospel. And so I think it's helpful for pastors just to name things uh, for people and even for their own sanity. Um, I've also learned that not everything should be handled in a sermon and not everything should be handled in a context of worship. Uh, I will say things on Wednesday nights that I don't say on Sunday mornings, or I'll say them in a different way. Um, I'll also use social media in avenues that I, I would not use a, a sermon to do. And so I would just say there are other avenues for a pastor to function than, than just the pulpit. And so be wise with how you use that and how you use the other tools at your disposal. Hmm. Heather, I mean, what do you say? What do you say to the um, little old lady in the church that's holding her membership and her tithe in one hand because she doesn't feel like she can be on board with the money the church is giving to said partnership? How do you minister to such a, a person? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we always want to kind of define what we're for, not what we're against. And so I, you know, I, and 
And your original question, my mind automatically went to, I'm not sure it has to be either or, but it can be both and. And, you know, we often kind of um, delineate or distinguish between the work of mission and the work of advocacy. And um, I don't think either one of them can exist without each other. And so, you know, so practically speaking for me, this looks like you know, we offer on ramps to this work in so many different ways because not everybody's going to jump on board when you talk about, hey, we're going to have a letter writing campaign on Sunday morning in James Gallery. Well, not everyone's really into that. So how how do we get um, everybody on board and and meet people where they're at and move them along? Um, I remember speaking to, we have a, an advocacy committee and I was talking about, well, maybe we should just get rid of the Thanksgiving bags, right? We collect canned food at Thanksgiving and give it to one of our partners. Maybe we should just get rid of that. And, and someone who was more attuned to small children said to me, but Heather, that's one of the main on-ramps that our children have the ability to give. And so even though I understand what you're saying in the sense that it, it feels as if it doesn't have as high level of importance or impact. It's, it's still meaningful for us to offer because we're giving someone the opportunity to get on board and we can use that to kind of move them along. So, you know, I, I don't think we do ourselves a service when we kind of pit these things against each other or say that one or the other is more important they go hand in hand, they have to. Um, and and we just, we have to meet people where they're at and um, honor, you know, if, if this little old woman doesn't want her money to go towards this cause, well then it doesn't have to, right? Like we can designate it so that, I mean, there's all sorts of ways where you can kind of meet people where they are um, and, and give them the on-ramp, um, that they need in order to feel like they're fulfilling what God has gifted them and called them to in the work. Steven? Yeah, I would just add that I don't think we can expect everybody to, to do it. And, and that's okay. You know, um, bless the few who do, right? Whoever Whoever's um, interested, then then give them that, that outlet and the, the way to do it. And it's okay not to expect everybody to be as charged up about this. Um, I just think we've, aired on the other side way too often that we have no avenue for someone to pursue Christian faith and advocacy and public witness at the church. And so it's just kind of making a bit of a, a correction. Uh, I will also say that um, I agree with Preston in that, that sometimes you just want a sanctuary from the hyper-political, hyper-partisan nature of this world. We are so bombarded. I get that. Um, but hopefully the way the church goes about it um, doesn't feed into those narratives very easily. And secondly, maybe our folks should stop consuming so much hyper-partisan, hyper-political media in the first place. Uh, I, I'm only half-joking that I think CBF Advocacy ought to call for a um, cable news fast for our, for our folks. And, and, and I'm, I'm only half-joking. I do think that the way we are being formed outside of church Mm -hmm. is really problematic. And we have way more time on our devices, our social media and our cable news than we do in the church and probably in scripture. <laughs> and so um, this is, uh, there's corrective needed on both sides of that equation. Spare last question. Um, there's some that as you consider um, the work of advocacy, there's so 
many things to advocate for or against. So how does a congregation walk through the discernment process of understanding what particular issue or issues they can strongly work behind. Again, you know, there are so many things that we can put our efforts behind and maybe it's not as strong when we've divided ourselves among so many different things. So how do you discern what thing or things that you can genuinely put excellent effort behind? Um, and, and Heather, we'll start with you on this one. Sure, I think we've mentioned this throughout the podcast today, but um, connecting it to what your congregation has always cared about. Um, it's the easiest way to get started um, because you're going to have the most kind of consensus around that. So like I mentioned earlier, we started with um, hunger and education because those were two things that historically we've always cared about. And so it was adding a new dimension to the ways in which we were already engaged and serving and fundraising and doing all of that already. Um, so it was an easy kind of onboard. Um, for us. Now that we're kind of farther along in the work, um, I, I think there is a lot more, um, gosh, you could care about everything all the time. Um, <laughs> and it is hard to say no. I know Preston said there are some things that you have to say no to, and it's really hard. So, um, so there are, um, I think, I think there's, there's things that you can you can kind of prioritize and say, these are the things that church wide, we're going to make sure that we kind of push forward. But there's also a way to be able to say in the moment I need, we need to speak about this, because if we don't, we're missing a moment. And um, and that that's the other uh, part of advocacy is that it's it's quick mobilization sometimes and you don't have the capacity to go for a vote and say, okay, is everybody on board with this? It's about intuitively knowing within your spirit and within the church's spirit that this is important enough that we have to use our power and our voice um, to say something. And um, and that's where it gets a little dicey and tricky perhaps. But um, I would say that there's kind of two, two ways to prioritize you know, connect it to what you've always cared about. And then what is the moment calling for and where do you need to kind of mobilize and speak to? Preston. Yeah, I have very little to add to that. I would do exactly as Heather just said. Uh, the only thing I might add is if you don't have that history or those ongoing missions and partnerships, I would look at the gifts of the congregation. Uh, what do the people in the pews do? Uh, where Where is their expertise? Um, how are they connected? And so if, if, if your place in advocacy doesn't derive from your church's history or your ongoing work, uh, I would just encourage you to get to know the people in the pews and ask where their giftedness, uh, to use a Beekner quote, uh, intersects the need of the moment, uh, you know, where, where the church's joy meets the world's need. Uh, maybe that's a good place to start. Stephen, you've um, literally written a book about this. So um, what's your the take book. on it? The book, yes. Well, um, I think these folks have read some early copies or I just did a very good job in listening to some people uh, who've done this before. Uh, absolutely. Start with missions, just as they've said. Um, and as for the, uh, for those things that are the moment, the things that require some response, you're going to have a better sense of that if you're out in the community and talking to folks and engage in established relationships. And so I think as you get into this work, you'll, you'll 
feel and sense that that priority and, and the needs in that way. And I, I do want to make a distinction that, you know, we've been talking here about congregations as a whole. Christians as individuals, they're going to be motivated and, and come up with their political ideology and their partisan leanings for lots of different reasons. And they should be. We want to have active, engaged Christian citizenships citizens. Um, but when it comes to the church, I do think this is the best way to get started and the best way to keep a keep a focus so you don't run off and just kind of chase everything uh, that someone might be passionate about. You do root it in the mission work. And so um, I am I'm grateful for these uh, for them sharing their experience here. And yeah, I am. I uh, hope that the book we just released, The Mission of Advocacy, uh, we call it a toolkit for congregations because we think um, it's not about reading this from cover to cover. It's about giving suggestions and help based on, on the experience of Wilshire uh, and my co-author, Katie Murray, who, who served there for many years. And so um, hopefully uh, go find the book and, and uh, it'll lead you in the right direction. Well, since 2016, CBF has brought you over 150 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for Conversations That Matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the podcast listener, to join in connecting the podcast. You can become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview and a VIP experience at next summer's General Assembly. Hopefully it will be in person. We'll see. Uh, there's five levels of listener support starting $5 per month. I think Steven is at the uh, $250 a month support. So everybody try to outdo him on that. Uh, for more information or join the community of listener support, you can visit cbf.net backslash podcast support. I want to extend a word of thanks to those watching and adding your great questions to this uh, conversation. And we apologize if we weren't able to get to all the questions listed. As Stephen said before, we want to invite you to go out and purchase uh, the Mission of Advocacy, a toolkit for congregation wherever books are sold. Again, each of those copies are signed with tears of <laughs> failed Longhorn season. Just, just call in a prophetic prediction here. Um, Heather, Preston, and Stephen, thank you for your leadership at the local and national level as we seek to be a fellowship that seeks justice in our world. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, y'all.